Perhaps one of the greatest things about being human is our innate sense of curiosity. It is our passion for discovery. Now, if you're actually a follower of Jesus like I am, then you believe that this inquisitiveness that we all have, that this is in fact a gift, that it's actually a part of the image of God that has been left on each of us by our Creator. And if you're not a follower of Jesus or even if you're not a theist, um, then I'm sure that you have some, some reason or some theory um, that you believe as to why we are um, this way. But what, what's undeniable is every single one of us, all of us, have this innate sense of, of curiosity. And, and sometimes um, our curiosity, it leads to joy. Sometimes it leads to fear. And sometimes it just simply leads to more things that we're curious about. This past year, my grandfather, uh, my mom's dad, passed away. Um, He lived to be 98 years old. So he was alive from the time of President Warren Harding all the way to President Donald Trump. Now imagine all of the curiosity. Imagine all of the discovery that took place throughout the course of all of those years. And think about how um, that curiosity actually changed over the course of those years. What is it that makes you curious? What what is it that you were once curious about that you're no longer curious about because you figured it out and so now there's actually just something new for you to be curious about? See, the truth is all of us are curious and all of us, we experience our curiosity through some sort of a frame of reference, right? There's a sense in which all of us um, that we, we kind of look at life um, through an imaginary window, tr- trying to figure out what exactly is on the other side as it relates to our faith, as it relates to our futures, as it relates to our children or our families, or, or all those other things that we as human beings are just simply curious about. And see, the reason our curiosity grows over time is because our window, our, our frame of reference It doesn't always provide us with all the answers. In fact, even in life, many times when one thing that we're curious about is resolved, oftentimes that just simply leads to even more things that we're curious about. In 1929, when my grandfather was just seven years old, um, this man, a man by the name of Edwin Hubble, because of his innate sense of curiosity, peered into a telescope and for the very first time saw that the galaxies in our universe were in fact moving away from each other at absolutely enormous speeds, a discovery that would later become known as redshift. And this single discovery, it completely disrupted the scientific framework used by the entire scientific community for more than 600 years years. And so suddenly, there was a brand new list of questions to be curious about. And see, all of us, we all have a frame of reference, and all of us have a a framework of life that we use to actually make sense of life. All of us have one, right? It may not be very well defined for you. You may not be able to actually stand up here and and tell all of us what exactly um, your your frame of reference for life is, um, but you have one. It's your frame of reference that determines right from wrong, just from unjust, fair from unfair, important from not important. 
It's your frame of reference that determines what it is that you believe. It's your frame of reference that determines how it is that you think you should behave. It's your frame of reference that determines what it is that you actually hope for in life. What you believe is even worth hoping for. And see, the truth is, most of us, right, if we're honest, most of us, we inherit this, don't we? Because the truth is, none of us are a blank slate. By the time we're children, someone or something has begun to shape or to form our frame of reference, the window through which we interpret the circumstances and the events of life that we experience in this world. And if you're like me, then perhaps you were raised with a religious frame of reference. Or maybe for you, you were raised with a somewhat religious frame of reference. You know, you went to church occasionally, uh, but, but nobody really talked about it. You know, there was a general idea of God when you were kind of growing up, but, but nobody really stopped and, and asked any, any difficult questions. Maybe there's just a general idea that God was, but you didn't really think about it even beyond that. Or maybe perhaps you were raised with a, an academic frame of reference, or, or more specifically, a scientific one, a, a frame of reference that said it's all about the mind, That's the only thing that matters. Or maybe for you, uh, it was um, a moralistic or a legalistic frame of reference, that the only thing in life that matters is how it is that you behave, how it is that other people see and think about you. Or maybe for you, it was opportunistic because you were told that nobody's going to look out for you, that you need to actually make sure that you look out for yourself because you're the only one that's going to take care of you. Or maybe, even though this word probably wasn't used, maybe for you it was more like karma, that everything in life happens for a reason, or maybe it was like fate, that life just kind of happens for, for no reason. See, the truth is, whoever it is that raised us as, as children, they raised us within the context of some sort of a, of a framework. And then they took that, and they handed that off to you. Right? And because we were children, right, what did we do? Well, we just naturally adopted it. Right? And we took it as our own. And then as we got older and as we grew up, as we went to school and as we learned more and as we discovered how much more incredibly smart we were than our parents, what did we do? We began to adopt it, didn't we? And then over time, for some of us, we actually began to realize that our parents were, in fact, a little bit smarter than we thought they were, and so we just went back to their original framework, and we readopted it. But for others of us, we just abandoned it completely. And the reason we abandoned it is because what we experienced in life as we got older and as we continued to grow and as we continued to learn, it just didn't make sense anymore. Much of the framework that we were handed or that we inherited that that was given to us, it just didn't make sense. It just didn't line up with reality anymore. And when life doesn't make sense and when life doesn't line up with what we expect it to line up with, then it makes us curious. But it's disturbing, isn't it? 
And if you've ever learned something or observed something or experienced something that, that is different than the, what you thought the way that life was supposed to work or the way that people were supposed to behave or the way relationships were supposed to happen, it's very disturbing. In fact, it's bewildering. And not only does that kind of an experience leave us curious, but when it comes to our personal relationships, when it comes to our personal lives, when it comes to the lives of the people that we care the most about, that we love the most, and when we think about life in this world and our relationships in this world, sometimes it leaves us not simply curious, sometimes it leaves us wandering. Sometimes it leaves us drifting. And most of us, we would attest to the fact that whenever we drift, generally we do not drift in good directions, do we? And so for the next several weeks, I want us to talk, I specifically, in fact, I want to talk to those of you who would say um, that you were raised uh, with some sort of a, a religious framework. Maybe it was Christianity, maybe it was some other religion, um, maybe it was a, a general theistic framework, it wasn't very well defined or it wasn't necessarily very, very clear, but regardless of that, over time, um, life just didn't line up with the way that you were raised. It just didn't line up with what you were taught. It just didn't line up with what you believed. It may be even with what religion presented to you. And so consequently, over time, you would say that you lost your frame of reference. You lost your faith. You lost your faith because the framework that you were given didn't line up with you with reality anymore for you. And so you abandoned it. You walked away from it. And maybe the tension that you felt, if you can remember back to when that experience first began to happen to you, maybe the tension that you actually felt on, on the inside was that while you were trying to actually defend th this framework that you had gr grown up with, maybe on the inside while that was happening, you were actually questioning that very framework. And you could not stop thinking about that book that you read or that article that someone gave to you or that lecture that you heard. Maybe the hypocrisy that you were seeing in your home. Maybe the hypocrisy that you saw in your church. And at first, that tension, right, it was very disconcerting, wasn't it? But then over time, when you finally gave up your religious framework, right, life felt so liberating didn't it? I mean, suddenly you, you were free, and, and suddenly the, the world was just so much bigger. It was just so much broader than, than this little religious world that you were brought up in. Right? That, that's how the, the wandering began for so many of us, isn't it? Because, see, all of us, whenever we let go of a framework that we're brought up in or that we're raised in, for all of us, as we develop a, a new framework of life, a new view of the world, all of us, we just simply begin to match our behavior with that new framework, with, with that new view that we've adopted. That's just simply what all of us do. And so as we move forward together over these next several weeks towards the celebration of Christmas, and more specifically towards the celebration of the birth of Jesus, I want to invite you to re-invite Jesus back into the center of your framework, back into the center of your worldview. Because listen, the truth is, right, you can't avoid Christmas. You can um, reinterpret it, 
You can decide it's nothing more than just historical. You can decide it's nothing more than just tradition. You can decide all of those things, but you can't avoid it. And so as we move close to the celebration of Christmas, I want to invite you to simply consider, just simply consider reframing your world or reframing your worldview around the person of Jesus and to re-invite Him back into your frame of reference. And it doesn't have to be the frame of reference that you left as a child or that you left as a high school student or as a college student. Maybe the frame that you left as a young adult. But I want you to at least consider it. And see, for some of us, right, you hear that, and, and I know what you're thinking because, I, believe me, I've been where you've been, okay? You don't, you don't know me, but I've been where you've been. And, and you hear that, and you think to yourself, okay, Joe, you know, you make it sound so easy. You make it sound like it's just something to think about, and we're done. But listen, I, I know what your tension is, right? Because the tension is this. You, you actually want to come back. The truth is, if you're honest with yourself, you miss your faith. But see, the tension you feel is that you feel like the, the price of saying, um, the, the price of readmission, the price of admission or the price of readmission, the price of saying, okay, I'm going to create or I'm going to recreate a framework um, that, that has something to do with Jesus in, in my life, you feel like that price is too high because you feel like that price w- would be your mind. Because your assumption is, right, I understand this, your assumption is that following Jesus requires faith, and you believe because either you've been told or because you were led to believe that faith and reason are opposites, that faith kind of leaves reason and experience back there somewhere in the dust. And so even though you would say that that's true, there is a part of me that misses that, you feel like, okay, maybe that was okay when I was a child. Right? But now that I'm an adult, that's just not going to work for me anymore. And so, yeah, even though there is a part of me that would like to invite Jesus back into the framework of my life, I'm just not willing to sacrifice my mind. And see, listen, if that's where you land with this, then I've got some incredible news for you that maybe you just don't know. Maybe you've never heard this before. But, but see, the truth is, the original version of following Jesus It never required anyone to sacrifice their observations, to sacrifice their experience, or most importantly, to sacrifice or to give up their intellect, right? Or or maybe for you, you you feel like the price of of, of readmission um, would be your freedom, perhaps? And see, you would actually be right about that one. Because following Jesus will, in fact, require you, um, it will require you to learn to say no to you, right? Reframing your life around the person of Jesus, it will require something from you. But the truth is, every frame of reference, right, every worldview, in fact, requires you to learn to say no to you. Because regardless of your frame of reference, regardless of your worldview, you have some thou shalts and some thou shalt nots, don't you? There are some things in your past that you regret. There are some things that you look back on and you wish you could undo. In fact, isn't it true that regardless of your worldview, when you look back on your past, there are some experiences, some people, there are some opportunities that you thought you just absolutely could not live without and now that you're on the other side of those things, you wish you could undo them, you wish you could return them, or you wish you could never meet them? I mean, isn't that true? And so the whole issue, 
right? The whole issue of having to say no to you is really not the issue here. The real issue is simply what no do you want to be a part of your frame of reference? And, and besides, if I can just meddle a little bit more, not, not a lot more, but if I can just poke at you a little bit, the truth is there may be a fatal flaw to your current worldview, and that fatal flaw, it might actually be you. Because see, isn't it true that throughout every season of life, every season of life, our frame of reference, it changes? Isn't that true? I mean, isn't it true when we were kids, we would do anything to avoid having to get a shot? And yet now, so many absolutely cannot wait to get one? Right? What in the world happened? In every season of life, our frame of reference, it changes. And so isn't it possible? Isn't it possible that your current non-Jesus, non-religious, non-whatever-it-is frame of reference, isn't it possible that that's incorrect? Because see, here's what I know about you and here's what you know about me, right? My worldview and your worldview. My frame of reference and your frame of reference. My way of seeing and interpreting the events of, of this world and, and of this life and your way of seeing and interpreting the events of this life. The truth is, it's limited, isn't it? And see, this is what followers of Jesus have always believed. Followers of Jesus have always believed that God, He so loved the world that He sent someone to our side of the window to be our point of reference. Followers of Jesus have always believed that instead of just, you know, God, instead of God just waiting and waiting and waiting for generation after generation after generation to grow in its wisdom and to grow in its knowledge and to discover something perhaps that maybe we would never discover on our own, Followers of Jesus have always believed that God, because of his great love for us, right, he rushed ahead and he sent someone, he sent a person to our side of the window so that we would know what God is like and to be our point of reference. And see, in the first century, there was a document written to followers of Jesus in the first century who had come to believe, these were Jewish followers of Jesus, and they had come to believe that Jesus was, in fact, their Messiah. Now, I cannot underscore how absolutely remarkable it was for any group of Jewish people in any period of history to come to believe that some flesh and blood person was, in fact, the long-awaited Messiah. But in the first century, many Jewish people, many people who knew Jesus, many Jewish people who had talked to Jesus, and after the resurrection, even many Jewish people who didn't like Jesus, many, many, many Jewish people came to believe that Jesus was, in fact, the Messiah. But as time went on, these Jewish followers of Jesus found it increasingly difficult to follow Jesus while living in their world seeing what they were seeing, experiencing the suffering that they were experiencing, having the questions about why and where is God, having the questions about what was happening to them right now. And so the author of the document that we know of as the book of Hebrews, he, he writes this letter to these Jewish followers of Jesus, and he says to them, listen, I know it's hard. 
I, I know how much you're struggling right now. I, I know the questions that you have. I, I know the, the persecution that you're going through. I know the fears that are filling your hearts right now, but, but do not abandon your faith. Do not walk away from your faith in Jesus. And so throughout the course of this letter that we know of as the, the book of Hebrews, th this author goes on to explain to the, these followers of Jesus why they should not walk away from a framework that was built around the fact that our Heavenly Father sent someone to our side of the window to be our point of reference. And his answer really comes down to just one single word. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, the author says this. He says, therefore, since we have, right, past tense, since we already have this, right, therefore, since we have a great high priest, the high priest was the person between God and all the rest of humanity, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, since we already have this, Jesus, the Son of God, since we already have him, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. And see, notice what he's not saying here, because that's equally just as important. He's not saying, since everything is going well, since you have everything that you need in life, since you have no more questions, since there are no unresolved mysteries, since we've resolved all the problems and all the difficulties that come with living in a sinful and broken world, since we have all the answers to all of our questions, let's continue to follow Jesus. That is not what he's saying, is it? But that is what we want. Instead, he says no. No, he says, since there is Jesus, since God sent Jesus, we should hold firmly to the faith we profess. And then a couple chapters later, he picks up on the same theme in, in chapter 12, and he goes on and he says this. He says, therefore, since we, right, again, past tense, right, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and the reason he uses this, this phrase here, cloud of witnesses, is because in the previous chapter, in chapter 11, he's just gone through a whole list of, of Jewish heroes who, who've done extraordinary things, all of which were documented in the Jewish scriptures in, in the Old Testament. And so he's saying, because we have this whole group of people behind us, here's what you and I, here's what we should do going forward. And the reason he references this group of famous Jewish people is because since the very time of Abraham, Jewish people have always believed that God was going to do something in the world for the world, which in ancient times was an absolutely preposterous idea. But see, God had told Abraham that one day Abraham would become a family. And that his family, in fact, one day would become a nation. And then that this nation, and this was the absurd idea in ancient times, this nation would in fact end up blessing all the other nations of the earth, that this nation would bless everyone, that all nations would be blessed through them. And so since the time of Abraham, Jewish people have always believed that God would do something in the world for the world. But Abraham died, and he never saw this promise fulfilled. And then the generation after that died, and they didn't see the promise fulfilled. And then the generation after that generation died, and they didn't see that promise fulfilled. And so now the author of the book of Hebrews is saying, listen, you need to actually hold on to what you have. 
Because we, you and me, we are on the fulfillment side of that promise that God has in fact done something in the world for the world. And so he's saying to his audience, listen, why in the world would you let go of the very thing that God promised to give you? And so therefore, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders, right? Anything that gets in the way of what God has given to you. And, he says, the sin that so easily entangles, right? The sin that so easily trips us up. And and see, here's what this verse means for some of us, right? The sin, because you were raised in a religious framework, right? The sin that caused you to feel guilt, and, and so you knew because you're smart, Right? The only way really to, to, to resolve that, that sense of guilt, this feeling of guilt that you have, because you're smart, you know there's only really two ways to do that. Either you jump, jump back in to your original frame of reference that tells you what you're doing is wrong, or you just go out and you get yourself a whole new frame of reference. You just go out and you find yourself a brand new window. You, you decide none of it's true. You decide there is no God. Where you decide that maybe if there is a God, that he's not a personal God, and he doesn't care anything about you, he doesn't care about anything that you do, he's not concerned whatsoever with how how you interact with other people, that none of that actually matters to him. And the guilt level, it went down, didn't it? And the shame level, it went down, didn't it? And, And you began to feel better even though you hadn't changed anything about what you were doing or not doing, you just simply went out and got a new view. You found yourself a new window to look through. See, for years I've heard that story or or, or countless variations on that story. But you know what else I hear, and, and this might be your experience as well, that even though I changed my view, Even though I changed my framework, even though I got myself a new window, even though I began to see the world differently, there was still something. There was still something that was on the inside that I was never that was never fully resolved. I never truly had a sense of peace. I was never fully at rest. Which is exactly why the author of Hebrews says what he says next. He says, and let us continue to run with perseverance or endurance the race that has been marked out for us. Right? In other words, there is in fact a frame of reference for our lives. That there is in fact a frame of reference that allows us to know who God is and how we're supposed to live. And this frame of reference, right, this true north, this this framework for everything, it's not a philosophy, it's not even a religion, it's a person. And then his next few words are so absolutely extraordinary. In fact, his next few words that he writes in this letter are the reason we're talking about this letter today. 
Because he says to this group of people, okay, listen, you're on the fulfillment side of this promise that God has made to the entire world. God fulfilled his promise by sending his son Jesus into this world. But listen, you're beginning to lose focus. You're beginning to lose perspective. And so I want you to refocus your attention not on an institution, not on an organization, not on a leader, not on a ruler. No, I want you to refocus your attention, he says, on one very, very specific individual. Don't miss this. He said, instead of all those other things that are so easy to focus on, especially in these moments, he says, no, I want you to fix your eyes on Jesus. Now, your religious upbringing, whether it was in church or maybe some other religion, your religious framework, regardless of how tightly or loosely defined it was, it focused you. It focused your eyes on something. And perhaps, perhaps unfortunately, it focused your eyes on something other, even though it was a Christian church, something other than what the author of Hebrews And the writers of the New Testament tell us where to focus our eyes on. Maybe they focused your eyes on the pastor or the priest because he was so great or or she was so great. Or maybe they focused you on the church, right? Everything was about the church. You got to be at church. You got to be in church. Are you going to be at church next week? Are you going to be at church next week? It was all about the church. Or maybe they focused you on an experience. Maybe it was some sort of a camp experience, and they said, okay, now that, you know, now that you've had this experience, right, now, now, that, now, that, now you've done that, now that you're in. Now, because of that, you're one of us. Or maybe they focused your, your eyes on circumstance because your religious framework that you grew up in was all about, you know, seeing God answering prayers and God coming through, and if you, you do the right things, the right things will happen, and if you say the right things, then the right things will happen, and you did all that. And the right things didn't happen. See, this is why. This is why so many people, even who who grow up with a Christian framework, walk away from their faith. Because unfortunately, the group that they grew up with, right? And this was unintentional. But the group that they grew up with focused their eyes on something other than what the author of Hebrews and what the New Testament tells us where to focus our eyes on. We are to focus our eyes on Jesus. Why? He goes on and tells us. Because Christianity didn't begin with the church. And Christianity didn't begin with an organization. Christianity didn't even begin with a philosophy. It began with a person. The person that God sent to our side of the window to be our point of reference. The person that God sent to us so that while we were caught up with all the curiosities of life, the, the mysteries of the universe, the unanswerable questions of human existence and the, and the human body, well, we were caught up with all of those things in the meantime, we could know with certainty, where we stand with him. Here's how the author says it. Let us run with perseverance the race that has been marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author, in other words, the originator, 
or the, the founder, and not only that, but also the perfecter, the one who brings everything to a successful conclusion, the author and the perfecter of our faith. That is the one who, who, who everything begins with and everything ends with. The author is saying, listen, um, the, the whole thing, this whole faith relationship thing, this whole God thing, it all originates with Jesus and it all rests on Jesus. And then if you grew up in church or if you grew up around church, what he says next, these next words, they can almost begin to sound like a fairy tale because they get so romanticized so often. Because we've never seen a crucifixion. We've never heard a crucifixion. We've never smelled a crucifixion. We've never seen a body taken down from a cross after a crucifixion. But these people reading this letter for the very first time, they had. And so the author says to them, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And then next, he uses two incredibly powerful words. Do not miss what he is about to say because he wants to draw his readers back. He wants to draw them back to this frame of reference that they had begun to lose focus of because of the circumstances of life, because of their questions, because of their fears, because of their hurts. And so he says to them and he says to you and he says to you at home, he says to me, consider him. Consider him. Reconsider him. Consider his life, not what you've been told about him. Consider his teaching, not necessarily what you have been taught. Consider his claims, not necessarily what other people have claimed about him. Consider him, not necessarily other people that say they follow him. Consider him, not them. Consider him, not all those other things. Consider him, not simply your circumstance. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, and here's why, so that you, you here in the room, you watching online today, so that you would not grow weary and lose heart or lose faith. So, one last question as we wrap up today. If once upon a time you began to wander, if at once upon a time, some point in your past, maybe in high school, maybe in college, maybe just after college, maybe if some point in time your curiosity led you to wander, then here's the question that I would love you to consider. What was the faith that you lost? What was that faith fixed on and fastened to? Right? If at some point in your past you began to wander because it just didn't make sense anymore, and so you did away with that religious framework maybe that you grew up with. You, you did away um, with your Christianity. You did away maybe with even the church. Here's my question for you as I invite you back 
over these next several weeks as we prepare to celebrate the birth of Jesus. What was your faith fixed on and what was it fastened to? Because, see, my hunch is this. It was not fixed on and it was not fastened to Jesus. It was fixed on and was fastened to something else. Because, listen, circumstantial and experience-based faith, right? circumstance meaning if everything works out, then God is for me, but if it doesn't work out, that means there is no God. Right? Circumstantial and experience-based faith, it will never ever survive the pressures or even the pleasures that come with life in this world. And so if you found yourself wandering, then here's something else that perhaps may spark your curiosity. Who was that faith fixed on? Perhaps, just perhaps, it was on something or someone other than Jesus. And we'll pick it up there together next week. Let me pray for you today. Heavenly Father, Father, thank you for loving us so much that you would, in fact, send your Son to our side of the window to be our point of reference for life, for relationships, and even to be our way back, to be our way back home when we wander and when we drift. And so, Father, I pray very specifically for the person that's here today or for the person watching online at home today, Father, I pray for the person who truly wants to come back because they miss their faith. Jesus, they miss their relationship with you. And so, Jesus, I pray that you would give them the courage to ask and the wisdom that they need to answer that question. What was their faith, the faith that they lost? What was it fixed on? And what was it fastened to? And Father, I pray that they would not believe the lie that that having faith in you, having faith in your Son, somehow means they have to give up their mind. That instead, that they would know the truth, that their curiosity, that their passion for truth is in fact a gift from you. And Jesus, for the person maybe who feels like they can't come back because, because of what they've done or how far they've wandered, Father, in this moment, I pray that you would speak to their heart directly, welcoming them back to you as all of us personally and silently confess our sin to you.
the good news of the gospel is that there is no place you can go. There is no wall that will, is high enough. There is no barrier that is strong enough to prevent your Savior from chasing after you, from bringing his forgiveness to you, from giving the gift of life to you, from giving the gift of faith to your heart. So the good news of the gospel is that your sin, it is truly and it is finally forgiven because of the blood and the resurrection of your Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. It was on the night that Jesus was betrayed that he took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, Take and eat all of you. This is my body. After supper, he took the cup of wine and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and said, Take and drink all of you. This cup is the new covenant. It's in my blood. It's been shed for you for the forgiveness of your sin. Whenever you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And so take and eat the body of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And drink the cup of the new covenant in his blood that has been shed for you and for your forgiveness. And every time we do this together, we do this in remembrance and we do this with great celebration about who our God is, what Jesus has done for us, and the gift that he has given to you. Amen.